Hi everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I'm Autumn, and I'm joined by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. You are. Um, I want to do two quick notes um, at the top of the episode before we get into all of our normal stuff. Um, do you want the lighthearted one or like the the downer one first? Um. Hmm. I know that the like movie that we just watched is also kind of a downer, and I don't know if if doing a downer sandwich is like downer lighthearted downer is the move or the reverse. Well, the downer one is just that I I feel that I have a bad track record with uh, actually putting content warnings at the beginning of podcasts because I always tell myself I'll do it in the edit and I I, I forget because I do it a couple days later. Yeah. So all I was going to do was just like this week we were talking about Angels of the Universe, uh, which is a movie i almost said it's a podcast it is a movie um that depicts um people with schizophrenia and um like is very like frank about these things and depicts like you know mental illness and abuse by the healthcare system and like ends in a character committing suicide and so like i just want to make sure this is like this is a very heavy movie and i just want to make sure that we get the content warnings in because i'm gonna feel bad if i forget especially with yeah. this movie yeah this one is it's gonna be hard to not talk about this stuff um as we talk about the movie because it's it's what the movie is yeah uh lighthearted one which um maybe you've already guessed i don't know um there is a live band playing outside of my apartment right now, so if you can hear I, uh, very, very loud music, that's what that is. Yeah, I can hear it. <laughs> um. I, it sucks. <laughs> I will do my best to remove it in the edit, but um, they're just very loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Um, ho- hopefully, this audio sounds okay. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I can see it on my waveforms, and I'm just gonna do some noise removal to try and work around it, and maybe I'll go through and like mute anytime I'm not talking. But there's only so much I can do about the times when I am talking and they're playing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing is, it's quiet. It is quiet enough to me that I can't like really hear the music. I can just tell that music is happening. Is the music at least good? Uh, no. I well, never damn. like the music they play at this place. I never do. Um, tonight is better than like most nights. They just have a DJ and like he shouts periodically about like you know all the ladies on the floor or whatever, you know, like he just shouts a lot. Um, so it is nice to have a band for once, but, um, this place is so weird because like they've been shut down for COVID reasons, like a couple times. And so they'll like go away for like a month or two. And like this week they just came back again. And I'm like, Oh, right. We live right next door to like a bar that gets a band sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, and they they have stuff going on every night of the week. It's a Thursday, and they're just going at ten p.m. because no one no one works on Fridays. No yeah. one in this residential area needs to sleep. 
Um, honestly, still might be slightly better. I had a friend who lived above a bar um, that like also had live music and DJs and stuff. Um, and thankfully, it was a friend who like worked night shifts and just like never went to bed before like 5 a.m. most nights anyways but um yeah every time that like i would go over and hang out with him it would just be like oh (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) this is this is very loud the floor is shaking because it's literally right below us (laughs) so it could be worse could be worse could be worse (laughs) Um, did you watch any movies in between? Um, I watched Batman, which I talked about on another podcast. Let me look at my letterbox real quick. I watched uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, which I uh, talked about on another podcast. Very prominent stairwell in that scene. Do we want to rate it? Um, yeah, I just remembered that I had done... Um, I had done uh, Batman last time, so no need to go over that again. But let me pull up exportaudio slash stairwell quality and think about what I want to rate the stairwell from <laughs> um, you, uh, Pirates you, of the Caribbean. While, while, while you're thinking, so I've not watched anything in between. Um, I just had like a very busy... We had like multiple recording sessions between now <sighs> and then for like i did a ghost divers question bucket and then we also recorded a ghost divers episode and it was across Mm -hmm. two days and so like my my um evenings to watch movies have has been slim um and i was very tired from being up late recording podcasts so the like (laughs) i went to bed at like 9 p.m last night basically um so i've not watched any movies but i did have this moment where i was thinking about how we're doing because we're like getting close to the end of recording our Ray Earth episodes and we're doing Utena next. And mm-hmm. um, I realized Utena has like incredible fucking stairwell scene um, that yeah. gets repeated a lot in the anime. Um, so I put Revolutionary Girl Utena by Iku- uh, Ikuhara Kunihiko in here. Uh, anime from 1997 and gave it a stairwell quality of S. I think it's an S. You can disagree with me here, but... Uh, I have only one thing to say about that, and it's a uh, Zetai Unme Mukushidoku. <laughs> okay, yeah, That's so all. so it's an S. Um, it's a stairwell yeah. scene that has its yeah. own theme song, <laughs> and it you really see does. the the exact same animation many many times throughout the course of that anime, um, and every single time you're just like, hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> they made. They've made the ornate stairwell a magical girl transformation sequence. They did, yeah. With its own theme song that then segs into a unique rock song for each battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This show's incredible. Yeah. So definitely, stairwell is incredible. Like, one of the few stairwells that might be able to tie with pay f- a Pale Flower for me. Um, yes. I don't know why I can't say words right now, but... Uh, well, luckily, you don't have to do that on a podcast, usually. So. Cool. Um, so I gave uh, Dead Man's Chest a C-. Um, for people who are familiar with the film, um, there is a twist ending, a uh, cliffhanger ending, not a twist ending, a cliffhanger ending, where Jack Sparrow is dead, and at the end of the movie, um, Jeffrey Rush, the villain of the first movie, 
um, is alive again. Again, somehow, for reasons that are unexplained in this film, Jeffrey Rush is alive again, and he descends a stairwell, and he's like, ah, we're going to go do another movie now. Um, and I gave it a C- minus because Jeffrey Rush showing up is the best part of the film. However, it is just some wood steps in a shack. Yeah. <laughs> the stairwell itself, mid- Jeffrey Rush, great. I love that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, it feels um, like we had so many movies last time that it feels weird that this is all we have to talk about. But I mean, this is much closer to like a normal week. Yeah. Episode six, I just rained Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater. <laughs> Even though I didn't like watch or play it, I did put it on this list. <laughs> I didn't watch Utena. I just put it on here because I thought of it. <laughs> um, Every time I see it, I kind of like laugh. I'm like, I really did put Snake Eater on here. I need to give that a year. I didn't uh, put a year on it. Let me. When did Snake Eater come out? Um, 2004. Wow. That is. That is both newer and older than I thought. <laughs> Same. Same. Um, I would have guessed. Like I knew in my head that it was like post nine eleven. Yeah. Um but I would have guessed like two thousand two. Like I would have guessed like immediately post nine eleven, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I would have guessed like two thousand two and then thought about it and been like, that was so long ago compared to twenty twenty one. It couldn't have been that long ago. But it was. <laughs> <laughs> um Um PlayStation 2 is still relevant to me. <laughs> yeah. I had a horrifying moment, um, I guess a couple months back now, where I was um, hacking my PS3 to play PS2 games, and I was watching a YouTube video about this exact thing, and um, it was like, oh, yeah, if you want to play retro games, like on the PS2, and I was like, the PS2 isn't retro <laughs> games, and then I thought about it, I'm like... Yeah. PS2 might be retro games. <laughs> it, is, it is. I'm not happy about it, but it is. <laughs> um, do we want to talk about this uh, very sad movie? Yeah, this movie is sad. Sorry, I am writing in my pick for next week because I already decided for once in my life and I didn't want to <laughs> let myself forget. Um... <laughs> I'm excited so, for our next one. I'm Dear listener, too, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so, yeah, Angels of the Universe. I'm going to pull up the Wikipedia page for it so I can give the listener some sort of just, like, factual information about it. Um, it I'm just loading the Wikipedia page now, and it's a 2000 uh, Icelandic film directed by... Uh, Friedrich Thor Friedrichsen. Okay, I was about to, I was about to take a swing at it that was going to be pretty similar to what you said, but not quite right. Um, it, it is a pretty easy movie to summarize as far as plot goes, I think. Um, it is about uh, a young man named Paul um, who um, is, like, is schizophrenic. Um, at the start of the movie, he is... Sort of like the erratic, funny guy of the family. Um, and as his condition worsens, they like send him to a uh, 
a mental hospital and it is about like his like the the course of his life as he kind of comes in and out of this um uh mental hospital and these sorts of like other characters in his life uh you know the other patients at the hospital um the the doctors there it is a movie that deals in a lot of like vignettes i think that like paint a sort of broad picture it's not about like you know a three-act structure necessarily um so um and the other thing about this movie is that it is desperately fucking sad and depressed depressing (laughs) yeah but also gorgeous Uh, also gorgeous why did you I, i was gonna ask like had you seen this movie before? Like, what, what, like, motivated you to pick it? Because I just know that you have, like, a relationship with this movie, and I wanted to prompt you to talk about that. Yeah. Um, so, my, like, original, when, when I went to grad school, my focus was, so it was, like, cinema and media studies, um, but in particular, my focus was Icelandic cinema. Um, and so my thesis, it's kind of about Icelandic cinema broadly, but I use this movie in particular as like the main film that I look at and then use to make like this broader argument about how the way that Icelandic cinema is often approached and discussed in like especially academic works in the West um, is from this lens that's called transnational cinema. Um, which can be useful. It's like how our nations, uh, or how 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 is a film like going between nations, and how is that like communicating something? Um, and so that can include like this film itself was uh, like was made in Iceland, but has like funding from like I think there's like a Danish studio and like other things. Um, like a lot of Icelandic films kind of require some amount of investment from like other nations often nordic nations um to like be made and also there was sort of this explosion that happened um in icelandic cinema after the creation of an icelandic film fund um but that film fund too was like specifically one of the goals was to like spread icelandic culture and like you know interest in iceland to other countries um as a, like mm-hmm. a small nation, Iceland is often like preoccupied with like one like tourism is a huge industry, and also like how do they position themselves in a global community? Because um, like you know, at the time that this film was made, I think it was even under three hundred thousand. They're they're over three hundred thousand for population now. Um, but my my basic argument for the the like essay was that when we only take this transnational approach to the work we like lose a lot of the local specificity and so a lot of reads on this film are like oh this is like one flew over a cuckoo's nest um here are these like biblical allusions these like religious themes that you can pull out um but a lot of the other stuff that's happening in this film to connect what's happening to like a history of icelandic literature um to like iceland's specific uh, position during cold the cold war as like you know very short summary iceland was um a colony of denmark and basically was able to break free from like denmark because when uh nazi germany was occupying denmark they lost uh 
basically contact with the Danish government long enough that like a thing that existed in one of the laws that had been written kicked in, which allowed them to like claim some sort of um, like self rule because they weren't getting any direction from Denmark. Uh, and then that like gave them more of a foothold to like push forward other independence and like sovereignty movements. Um, and so world war two is like at one time, one point what frees um, Iceland from like being a colony. And then at the same time, like shortly thereafter, they become occupied by the base was first built by the UK, but then the U S took over like the following year. And so then there's this lengthy history of the U S occupying Iceland as like a key strategic uh, nation for the cold war because if planes were flying over that way they would have to like stop over in iceland to refuel anyway and so if the u.s is already there like russians couldn't use iceland as like a stopover spot trying to come to the u.s um right and so like also notably even though this is based on the author's like brother's own life he changed the birth date and death date for his brother to being born when nato the nato treaty was ratified um and then dying when the berlin wall fell to like also further drive home the way that his life is like also talking about this weird tension that's happening in iceland around like we've broken free from the colonization that we were previously facing and now we're facing like this new uh american colonial project of like right the americans are here and are are influencing us in these ways um but it's also specifically coming from like a lot of this director's work and also a lot of the authors that he works with have like a great deal of care for um what would be called like camp scum which are like the poor people who would grow up in the some of the abandoned barracks because like after world war two, a lot of the barracks were abandoned and there was like, there are still people in Keblavik, like in the, the army base, but not nearly as many us soldiers in Iceland after that. Um, and so a lot of poor people moved into the barracks and lived out of them. And so there's also this, like there, there's a certain framing around America in Iceland as like, Oh, American culture they're like bringing these American movies and American rock music and it's like corrupting the you know true national identity of Iceland and like this is like Mm -hmm. pointedly also not taking that point of view but is like still dealing with what is this what does this tension mean so uh, if people want to check out my thesis you can find it we can even link it but also if you just go to like scholar.google.com and search (laughs) uh, angels in the universe I'm the first thing that comes up because at this point, I'm like probably one of the most significant papers written in the English language about this film. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my like little spiel. But also, I don't want to like, just do my thesis on a podcast. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I don't write essays um, anymore for a reason. <laughs> I, and like, as a person who does not know much about like the like any of that sort of history you're talking about. It's interesting how as soon as you lay out laid out even the tiniest little bit, I was like, oh, okay, these like six different things that I was picking up on the movie like all kind of click into place because like um you know, Paul literally points out the stuff about being um born the day that the 
that NATO was ratified and, and dying just shortly after the Berlin Wall fell. And uh, he's like running around the whole movie wearing like a Coca-Cola sweater. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and like there are just Coca-Cola products like fucking everywhere in this movie. Um, yeah. And like, and also notably, so there's like the four kind of main characters um, who are like the four with schizophrenia, like Paul and then his um, three friends and so, like, mm-hmm. Paul and Pieter, like, Paul and Peter, the ones, with the like, the two ones with the biblical names are the ones who die. And then the ones who live on are specifically the uh, Victor, who is the one who's, like, sometimes thinks that he's Hitler and is just, like, a Nazi and kind of sucks, except when he takes them all out to dinner, that's, like, the one nice thing he ever does in the movie, <laughs> kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one, uh, Oli being the one who like you know is writing beatles songs and sending them telepathically to the beatles um Mm -hmm. and that being tied to pop music which on one hand is like representing a certain american influence and then also at the point that this film was being made was like the explosion of icelandic music like cros was getting huge and being written about in um pitchfork and like there was this right. this growing interest, and I, I was part of it as, like, a teen growing up, of, like, interest in the Icelandic music scene as well. And so I think, like, even that, like, we kind of, on one hand, these could be seen as, like, what are stereotypes of, like, someone who would be in a mental institution. But I think there's also, like, an intentionality of, one, giving all of the characters a sense of, like, humanity um, but then also having like the two ones that survive is like this fascistic impulse and then just like this um, like art as like a creative thing, uh, but that it specifically being tied to like popular music as the genre that is like exploding in Iceland and being what is like creating the sense of like people are coming to listen to Icelandic music and like Iceland Airwaves is named that because it it is sponsored by Iceland Air, the like Icelandic, uh, mm-hmm. not I'm like plane company, but I know that's not right. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> um, so yeah, like a lot of this stuff is like actually figuring into them talking about this like moment in Iceland, especially after the Cold Cold War, of like trying to figure out who we are. And I think also being very concerned with, like, there is a, f- a fascistic, like, vein in Icelandic culture as well. Um, this mm-hmm. is probably unsurprising yeah. to people that a lot of uh, European nations, there's, like, fascism there that needs to be <laughs> taken care of and aware of. <laughs> um, well, and, like, um, you know, the sort of, like, you meet only at a certain point in the film and he's um, playing his guitar and he's writing pop songs and he's um, at least in his mind, he is like telepathically sending these songs to the Beatles. Um, whereas um, <clears throat> this is like, I think contrasted against um, Paul who um, before he goes into this uh, hospital, um, is a painter and a drummer and a like poet and is like pursuing like six different um like weird or pursuing six or seven like he's a very multi-talented like multimedia sort of artist um 
and none of it is like like none of the paintings that he does are like gonna go up in a museum because they're sort of the like i think they're good but they're all you know kind of representing like his sort of erratic behavior um and his like struggles with like schizophrenia um and the moment that he goes into the hospital like he is just totally incapable of like following these creative pursuits that he has anymore um that are mostly for himself you know yeah um this is this movie is like one of my favorite types of movie to watch and like the hardest type of movie to talk about which is like when a movie is just like scenes and um there's no there's purposefully like not always connective tissue there's not always like this happens so then this happens because we're doing a plot it's just like well here's another event in Paul's life and you know like you, the all of the meaning from the film kind of comes together from like playing these two different like playing all these moments in like you know interesting sequences and like sort of putting the moments together to paint a picture um which makes it impossible to talk about because the movie sort of like speaks for itself yeah. <laughs> and um is sort of like impossible to describe unless i was going to go into like you know a moment by moment like sort of analysis of like okay so this is what's happening in this scene and here's like the sort of thematic resonance of that scene with the next scene which i'm not gonna do i'm not gonna do that yeah you know um, this is, um I, but I, I think this movie's <laughs> fucking remarkable uh yeah i think that so you haven't heard this yet but People may have heard this by the time they hear this episode on the the question bucket episode that we recorded. Um, I think I think a thing that I say on there is that, like, for me, in many ways, Ornate Stairwells is a podcast about how you should just go watch the fucking movie yourself and have your own aesthetic experience with it. And like, we can talk about our experience, but also like movies are a thing and we can't like. Like, going and watching a movie is an experience, and there's, like, no way that we can give you that experience. You should just go watch right. it yourself. And we can talk about what the experience that we had and what we found was interesting, but, like, there's no way to just summarize this movie where, like, oh, now you as, like, the listener have experienced this movie. <laughs> we can't do that. <laughs> right. Um, well, and it's it's interesting, too, because, um, like with with the hunger with rebels of the neon god with um wings of desire um like uh, uh, with our best episodes i feel like we are able to be like ah we had this experience with this movie and let's pull like all this stuff out of it um i think angels of the universe is really just a thing you have to sort of like see and and like it's really hard to like describe it but i just was like it, it also like it has a little bit of that like when there's a sort of popular way to talk about grave of the fireflies which is that like oh it's my favorite movie that i'm never gonna watch again this is yeah. like sort of like a popular way of talking about that movie because oh it's 
I love it. It's so great. It's fucking depressing as shit. And like, it's that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Um, where like, just every every scene is just like so beautifully shot, and the actor who is playing Paul, um, Ingvar Sigurdsson, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um like i think he's doing a remarkable job uh like i think this movie is like really beautiful um and i and it's and it's short like it's because i think if this movie was two hours it would be just too fucking much um but like um it's really beautiful and like really fucking hard to watch sometimes you know (laughs) um Um, and and honestly one of the I, I think the music too, like uh, the soundtrack by Helmer and Helmerson here is like, I think also, I mean, there's a lot going on that makes this a difficult movie to watch, but I think also the soundtrack for this is incredible. And like just the way that strings get played on it, like there's an intensity to the music as well that like really adds to this. Um, it is a beautiful soundtrack as well, but also it's just like, Mm-hmm. A lot of this movie is a is a lot. <laughs> um. Well, and it's it's a movie that is about like Paul has this condition, um, and there is no escape from this condition. There is no, um, and like this is a thing that like the movie like is textually saying like camera characters are looking into the camera and saying like when you have this when you struggle with this sort of mental illness there is no like you leave the like you go to the hospital and you get some help with it and then then you leave the the hospital like a terrible place as well yes you go to the hospital and you get some help but you're miserable there because it is a terrible place where you are like a constantly being like a victim of like state violence. Um, and then you leave the hospital and you are just a victim of different state violence about like, you know, um, you have to have a job, you have to have money to live, but you have this condition. So you can't hold a job. You can't really function well enough to be at a job. So you have to go back to the hospital. Um, and there's no like, there is no reprieve from this condition. Um, and like, I just, um, for me as a person who I like, I do not have schizophrenia. Um, but like my own struggles with mental health have like, like I've, saw symptoms that i have had like reflected in this movie um like paul will sort of lose track of time or or um like see things that aren't there um or just like be shaky or or have like very little control over his limbs and these are like all things that i have experienced in my own like uh struggles with mental health and like I, I've just never seen a movie portray this with this this sort of, like, sympathy and honesty and reality where, 
you, you know, if I'm going to compare this to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is a movie I've always kind of hated because yeah. it is kind of like, look at these fucking weirdos, you yeah. know, and isn't it so sad that they're fucked up like this? Um, this this movie, um, like, understands that understands a couple of things that I think um, very few like pieces of media and very few people understand about mental health like yeah this sort of like feeling that there is no escape from these things and also that like paul is going through his own unique and terrible experience but like there are a lot of other characters in this movie that are like healthy quote-unquote that are also in situations that they can't escape. Like, Paul's parents are are mentally healthy, but are also in these sorts of, like, situations that they cannot get out of because, like, they can't abandon their son to deal with this condition on his own. So, like, there's just nothing that they can do. And um, Paul, like, hangs out with his, like, successful uh dentist friend yeah rogan valdir um, yeah who um commits suicide off camera after like trying to talk to paul about like he tries to talk to paul about like i'm really struggling too and like i know that like it seems like i have everything that like uh, a good like successful person in society should want but i am also struggling with these things and he ultimately commits suicide um and it is a movie where even death isn't really an escape because the epilogue of the movie is like Paul just as a ghost kind of like walking around his parents' home. Yeah. Um, and it's and then, fucking depressing. And then like leaving the home as a, a dove. Mm-hmm. But then that is also like, which you could see as hopeful, but then it is also mirroring the way that like, so his friend, Pieter, who also kills himself has this part where he's talking about how he jumped out a window because he could fly and he really did fly um and then does jump out of the window but then also that doesn't seem to be the way that he died because he's found in the the river or like in the um, yes like several miles away um which then suggests that maybe he flew but then we're like getting that parallel to like how Mm -hmm. paul dies and then also him like being depicted as this bird as well um that it just like yeah i at this point i have lots of thoughts because again like i've watched this movie a lot um in a way yeah. where maybe it was not the best to be watching this movie a lot when i was going through grad school and also a lot of other mental health stuff but um mm-hmm. i part of like this isn't as much in the thesis that i wrote but i think part of why i like I think this is this director's best film. Um, and it's also one that I really latched onto because it has been very rare for me to see depictions of mental illness in a film like this that feels very, um, as you were saying, like it it is sympathetic and it doesn't feel like it is like the, these are still difficult depictions, but it doesn't it, it isn't like one flew over the cuckoo's nest where it, like it really does care about these people. Um, and I think also tries to sometimes like understand what is the 
the logic that they are like seeing the world through that to other characters might seem illogical, but we are brought in where we can like see it. Um, and so one of the ones that scenes that always stands out to me is there's a part where, so like very early on before he ever goes to um, the Institute, uh, I keep wanting to say Klepeter, which is the, the like name of this Institute, um, which in Iceland mm. is just kind of like synonymous with like mental institutes because it's, it was the main one. Um, but he goes like before he even goes, there's the scene where like, you know, uh, Dagny, the like girl that he's seeing basically stands, stands him up and, you know, um, I always love the line of like, it matters that it was a Charlie Chaplin film and also a sad Charlie Chaplin film. If it was Planet of the Apes, it would be fine. Um, which I, I just love as <laughs> like, a... <laughs> yeah, a concept of like, yeah, if it was Planet of the Apes, it'd be fine if I was stood up, but going to see a sad Charlie Chaplin film, this is like what really hurts. Um, and then Rogan Valdir is actually the one who like gives him the knife and says, you know, Egil Skallagrimson would have like no trouble burying this in someone's stomach. Um, which again is like tying this Paul to like Icelandic sagas. Um, mm-hmm. In the same way that Rogan Valder also gets tied as being like a soothsayer, which is a thing that would happen in sagas. Like he, he foretells people's death in this movie, including his own to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. And, but yeah, so th- there's all of that, and then he, like, runs out into the water, and it's, like, the big iconic shot of this is Paul basically goes through this tear through the city, um, and the police end up chasing him. And he runs out onto Tjernin, which is uh, this, like, artificial lake that's right out front. Um, like, the the mayor's house, like, overlooks it and everything. It's a very beautiful lake. Um, and, yeah, he runs out onto the surface of the water, and the police officers have to, like, wade through the water to go get him. Um, and later in the film, which would be like many years later, um, he's like been to the Institute. He's come back. He's at his home. And I forget if it's mo- his mom or his dad, but it's just like Rogan Valdir's on the phone. Um, like he'd like to talk to you. And Paul says, uh, like tell him that the knife is in the lake. Which is a thing that to like that character would make no sense. But we understand that he's talking about the knife that he gave him way back when, and then he ran out into the lake and now it's there. Um mm-hmm. and so like there are other moments in this film, I think, where stuff is happening and then like as the viewer you can actually understand like how they are reaching to these things that they they're saying, and yet like the people around them probably have no clue what they're talking about, but like we can actually understand their internal logic. Um, but also there are parts where it's just, there are things that are like, like I, I think what's also interesting about this film is that we get a lot of those that like are clearly um, trying to understand and like be sympathetic of these people. And yet there are also scenes where he's like, yelling at you know the dinner table and the his little siblings are like just clearly terrified and it's like Mm -hmm. this is still like a difficult situation for a lot of people to be in um yeah in this way where it's not just being like oh he's like fine like that he's clearly um like this is something that is distressing him and it is also distressing people around him um but it is also not like just trying to portray him as like 
weird or terrible or like that he is he is like a bad person who is like hurting this family um and i feel like it like manages to thread that really mm-hmm. well where um it feels very real and honest about it but it, it never quite like um this is a movie that makes me feel bad to watch because of how <laughs> honest it is about mental health stuff and not because it's like this depiction of it that is it uh like would make my skin crawl as like oh my god i can't believe that this is how they're like depicting people with mental illness um right well because like yeah you you finish oh i was just gonna be like and that honestly considering that this was like 21 years ago is kind of impressive to me um like i (laughs) well yeah because like his family is just in such a like just such a shitty position because like you you can't like have this person living with you who is like physically like threatening you with violence every day you can't like have that person in your home but you also like you know, like, you see, they see him in the hospital. They see what the hospital does to him. They see that the hospital is not helping him in yeah. in a lot of meaningful ways. So it's not like sending him there is better. And they know that, but they also know that, like, they can't have him in their home. And so it just, it sucks. And it's, it, 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 like it sets up this like cycle that just like repeats through the movie and like the way that um time is a very hazy thing in this movie um yeah. purposefully so where like he's in and he's out and he's in and he's out and the, this like i think like the the way that they make time hazy and like all the actors look the same, but you know that years are passing and they're just stuck in this cycle where he'll just be gone for six months and he'll be back for like a month and it'll be good for a couple weeks. And then he'll like flip the table over and like hold a knife to dad's throat and you have to like send him away again or, or he wants to get, go back to the hospital. Like there are times that he volunteers to go back there and it's just miserable. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, somewhat like so uh, another thing that's interesting to me with this film is uh so I, I kind of mentioned this before but um this film is based on a book of the same name uh, a novel um and it was written by Anna Marta Guthmanson who's like a, a fairly well-known author that um Frederick Thor Frederickson the director actually likes to work with often and uh Anna Marta also adapted the novel to the screenplay for this film. Um, and I've read the novel as well. And it is, it's interesting because in some ways the novel it has like its own, I would consider it like potentially a magical realist novel. Um, it's also very stream of consciousness. And so time in the novel is even more like, it is like very clearly jumping around through like even just different decades um mm-hmm. the span of like we get scenes of when he's being born and everything um and mm-hmm. and intentionally which this film gestures to in the final scenes but it's like set up very early on in the novel 
the novel is being written by Paul after he has died. Um, mm-hmm. It is him like writing his own life after he has died and telling you about it. Um, which again is like tying into this, like even death is not like truly an escape from this. Um, I love slaughterhouse five. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but in order to make it into a film, they had to assert a greater degree of um, linearity, I think, just to like yeah. make it make sense. And yet I think they still do a good job of capturing the weirdness of the time. Um, and also yeah. lean on other images that like further, like instead of it being just purely time, which is a lot of what the novel plays with, um this film also likes to play with space in, in various ways. Uh, mm-hmm. And so like notably the scene in the movie where Paul runs out onto the lake and walks on water like Jesus. Um, he does walk on water in the novel, but it's because the lake has frozen over. And so he walks out onto the lake and then when the police go, there's too much weight and the ice finally breaks. And then he falls in with, along with the police. Um, and so that like scene is not this like, like it is still doing the Jesus walked on water, but it is specifically because it was frozen, which is not what like the scene is that we get here, which is like more um, is leaning more into like this magical realist portrayal of walking on water, I would say. Um, yeah. And like another scene that is just a scene that was created for the film that has always stuck with me is there's one where... Um, we cut and for like a brief second, it's like the bed is at the bottom of the frame and he's floating above it. And you realize it's because the like camera is is tilted. Like it's been like rotated. Yes. Um, and he's like clearly disturbed, like in, in distress. Um, and starts like moving it around and then like shoves it up against the window, the bed up against the window and then is like standing in it, but is like laying on it in this way where like, Again, it almost feels like he's, like, laying on it and not that it is, like, upright and that he's standing against it. Um, And just the way that that, like, really um, confuses, like, you can make sense of it as a viewer. You eventually arrive to, like, oh, this is, like, the actual physical space and what he's doing. But it confuses, like... I think even just for a split second, like what is happening in the scene is yes. he floating. Um, and then even after you like figure out what's happening, he's then laying on the, the bed and then you can still like your mind can see like, but is he laying on the bed right now? Um, and that scene in particular always hits me, especially hard as someone who I like some of the symptoms that I have of my mental illness is having these things where I like dissociate and I become, um, like unaware of exactly like I become aware of my body in space, like of where I am, but I become like very confused about like what that it's like, I know that I'm in this room that is the room that I'm in, but I begin to like lose sense of like, even like what is up and down. Like I could be like laying in bed and I get very, you know, when you're like falling asleep and you have that sensation of like, Oh, I'm standing. Oh no, I'm falling. Um, it's like not quite as intense of that where I like actually shake out of it. And then like, you know, you have that moment where you jolt awake and realize that you're in bed. Um, It's kind of just like that weird moment before that ever happens where you like jolt. (laughs) 
And that'll happen to me sometimes if I'm like extremely dissociating. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I become like aware of my body, but also like I lose, it's like, I almost lose sense of like what gravity is. And this, yes, I'm talking about yes. this at length, but like, that's this, that scene is one of the only times that like, I watch that and that scene feels so clear to me as like a sensation that I have sometimes when I'm like really deep in it and that I have not like really seen depicted anywhere else in a way that it's like, it's yeah. even hard for me to exactly describe to someone what it feels like other than that. Yes. Just like, yeah. Um, and it's, it's just a, a, a power, like for me in particular, that's just a very powerful um, shot. Yeah. I, and I think, <laughs> you, you so go. I think, I had two thoughts coming out of like what you what you were saying, and I I will preface it with like I was reading Understanding Comics today, and so I think I'm just a little bit like thinking about like ah, what is the nature of like this art form, um, and like all this sort of sh- stuff that like Understanding Comics, like this book by Scott McCloud, is concerned with. Um, and so I was thinking as you were talking about like um, how like I have not obviously read the novel that this book is adapted or read the novel that this movie is adapting but like one of the things that you can do in a novel and like you know slaughterhouse five is this is you can like it makes sense when you jump around in time like that is a thing that you can do very easily in the written word that you like can't do in a film because like like the physical process of like feeding a film through like a projection and like the the movie just goes forward there's no like really no mechanism for like watching a movie in any order other than like the order it is assembled in and so like the ways in which this movie like is able to make time a not strictly linear thing um is just so fucking impressive because it's like not a thing I don't, I just don't think it's a thing that's easy to pull off. Like, I think, like, the sorts of ways that, like, this movie, like, makes time a mutable thing is just not easy to do. Um, and, like, it does all the, like, the sort of, like, Bergman persona shit, I think, where, like, characters, like, like, the... I think this movie, like, very intensely, like, calls attention to, you are watching a film, it is edited, and, like, you know, in some ways, like, the edit is the thing that makes film distinct from other art forms, like theater, let's say, because, um, characters, like, fade in and fade out of, like, frames, and, like, the ways that shots fade from one to the next is like important to like unmooring you from reality um one of the most effective scenes in the movie to me was um paul comes into the hospital and the camera is like set up at the one end of the hallway and you get this scene of like he comes in and he attacks a nurse and like a couple other like staff members come around a corner and they like you know tackle him and are like physically violent with him 
and sedate him and like drag him off and like there is a lot of just like because the camera is static through the whole thing they tell this story like through the edit because like it's fading from like one action to the next to the next that makes this like sort of very normal thing disorienting um and it's just good <laughs> it's just really compelling and you they do that a lot like there's a scene where uh Oli is like is walking down a hallway and um just suddenly fades to the point where like this is like early enough in the movie like oh is he just like not a real person is he just like a person that Paul is imagining um and I just think it's good I just think it's like fucking good as hell I think it's compelling um and the other thing I was thinking about was just that like the the thing one of the things that is so interesting to me about this movie is just that like because we're alive in the 21st century and because like visual like film and tv and visual media has been like so much a part of like has been like a thing for our entire lives and like like <clears throat> the ways that people think about things is shaped by language and film is just another language um and so it is very hard for me sometimes to like describe like mental health symptoms that I've experienced. And like this movie almost makes it easier to describe because I can kind of like point someone to this and like, yeah, like that, that shit that just happened to me, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and like this movie, like through editing, like provides language to like, symptoms of things that i have experienced um uh, yeah yeah um there's i don't even know if, how productive this will be i i looked in my thesis to find this quote um which is from Friedrich thor Friedrichsen, um and some of this is talking about so like a number of his other films have things that can be described as magical realist um so this is a quote that I, I think is like interesting to consider along with this film, um, but also some of his other films where he says what foreigners find supernatural. I consider natural. I don't agree that my films tend towards the supernatural. Mostly events are very natural. My movies are quite realistic. The supernatural is mostly things happening around us. One tries to highlight it a bit, but I never overdo it. Um, and and for me, in some ways, this is, like, one of the things that has always stuck out to me about his work, which is that, um, you know, he's employing it in a certain way in this film with some of it is pointing towards, like, the way that he's handling his depictions of, of these mental illness symptoms. So it's kind of why I'm bringing it up right now. But I think also the way that this film is... Um, like in some ways and we can get to like an email soon that I think ties into this, but like in some ways this film also takes seriously some of the like, Oh, like maybe they actually are connected to like these religious figures or these other things. Like there's this way that the Roggenwaldi are having these like sort of prophetic things that he says early in the film that then like actually play out as the film continues things like that that like 
I think this this movie brings in and takes seriously as like there actually are these you know the final quote of it basically is the the mother reading like dreams at the bottom of them we find the merciless onslaught of reality or or something to those lines um but i think there's like a certain amount of belief in here that in some ways reminds me of lynch although i think lynch handles some of it differently but that like Mm -hmm. some of this stuff that seems like surreal or supernatural or like outside of what would be depicted as reality is in fact reaching at some truth of reality that you can't actually talk about if you try to just do this like objective truth quote unquote um of like here's the like true depiction of reality like uh, this is a film that i think as we are talking about the way that we can see our own like mental health symptoms in here is actually depicting reality throughout all of it and that it is like Mm -hmm. reaching for things that seem unreal to try to describe um experiences that like fall outside of what would be like quote unquote and i'm like putting a very heavy scare quotes on here or uh inverted commas if you're regs (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, of like normal ways of seeing the world and behaving and everything um Mm -hmm. and so there are a lot of these things that are like mystical or supernatural or like pointing to those things and i think this film is still like considering those to be within the realm of depicting the actual reality of like the lives uh you know the life of like paul and his friends and and the things that they're going through um yeah in a way that it is also just interesting in it and in it's one of the things that i i really like about this like approach to like again I, I always have like hesitation around exactly when to use <laughs> magical realist, but like this this kind of approach of of depicting things as like in fact reality goes beyond like what would be empirical reality. Um and there are like attempts to try and depict that. So Um Well and and, and I think it's also like I think this film is very aware that, like, on the one hand, like, Paul's mental health, um, like, sort of necessitates, like, him going to this hospital because, um, like, he is putting the people around him in danger. Yeah. And I think this movie is also intensely aware that, like, Paul's mental health is, like, a problem that needs to be dealt with insofar as it makes him, like, not a good, like, capitalist subject. Like, he cannot go work for a company and produce value, you know? Yeah. Um, He is, in in one brief moment, he gets a job, um, like, just making chain link fences um, that he just is not able to do and like part of the reason that it is decided he has to go to the hospital is because he cannot like you know perform labor in exchange for wages um and i don't think it's an accident that he gets a job making a chain link fence and then in the final scene has to climb over a chain link fence to die like i think the film is like aware of that yeah um Um. 
yeah, I, I think the, the film also often like intentionally frames as well that, and, and like sometimes makes more explicit than others, but like has this awareness that when he's deemed well enough to leave is because they believe that he can work now. Not because like mm-hmm. he himself is, has like reached a point where he is doing better internally. Yes. But rather he has reached a point where he can like now quote unquote function as a productive member of society. Right. Like in this like capitalist notion of like what it means to, to be a productive member of society. Um, and that is like what everyone should be. Um, and that that yes. is, that is like the worth of a person is their ability to be like workers <laughs> um, in a yeah. way that is deeply fucked up and the the film seems aware of which is why like mm-hmm. for me the only nice thing that victor ever does is and it <laughs> is like the longest this film, fucking restaurant yeah, it's just scam this fucking restaurant out of a bunch of money and they just have a nice meal to celebrate their dead friend um which <laughs> we should explain because this is a movie um uh, you um so this is a movie that is like not easy to get a hold of i will say it is seemingly not streaming anywhere at least in the united states um if you go to um any number of famous piracy websites you can find it and parody parody i'm i'm gonna mark that i'm gonna not say that on a podcast but people will know you know people will know um (laughs) um but uh, uh, if you if you want to get a copy of this movie, get in touch with us. Is what I'll yeah. say. Yeah. Um, I can help I you think... find a copy. Yes, we can. We can direct you to some very affordable DVDs uh, that you can purchase with money that will be shipped to your home. Yes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um. But this is like a movie that is hard to get a hold of, and I imagine there are probably some people who are listening to this episode who have not seen it. Um, So I just want to describe to this sequence because it's fucking incredible. (laughs) There is a a patient um, named Victor who believes himself to be Hitler or at the, you know, in his like more quote-unquote lucid moments um, is just an avid supporter of Hitler. Um, And... um, I think it's stated that, like, he has rich parents, and he walks around the hospital all the time in, like, you know, these nice suits and and, and these nice outfits. Um, so their friend um, Pieter dies, and um, he, like, the, the three of them who are still alive, Paul, Ollie, and Victor, like, convince their doctor that... Uh, they should be able to like go to the funeral and instead of going to the funeral victor is like we're going to go to the like most upscale um restaurant in all of Reykjavik uh did i say that right Reykjavik yeah okay um like we're going to go and we're going to spend like fifteen hundred dollars on dinner like they order cognac they order more cognac they order more cognac they order the nicest like beef sirloin and like lobster tails and more cognac and and all these sorts of things like nice bottles of wine and 
know, like, you know, these sort of like, you know, oh, we'll have, uh, you know, your 1937. It was a good year, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> um, all this bullshit. They get Cuban cigars and, at the end of the meal. Too. Yes. And, and you just, and the whole time, like Victor is treating this waiter like shit is just like snapping his fingers, like, come here, you know, like, and he's just despicable. He's just the dog shit worst. And he's this Nazi guy who comes from money, who just like wanders into this restaurant and it's all this, all these rich assholes and you just hate them. You just hate everyone, everything that's happening here. And partway through the scene, I asked you, you know, not wanting you to spoil it. I just like, Oh, how are they going to pay for this? <laughs> and the scene is like really long and it just keeps going. And at the very end of it, Victor, um, like, just like gives them a check that just says like, we are patients at this hospital. You're going to want to call the police and send us home now. <laughs> and just like sticks the hospital with the bill for this like, you know, stupid expensive meal. And it's like the only good thing that this total shit bag does. Yeah. <laughs> it um, just stiffs this terrible restaurant on the bill. It was also great because as it was going on, you were becoming convinced that it was just going to be like, and extremely poorly. And part of what I like about it, too, is they all just kind of, like, get up. It, you know, it is, like, very much, like, we're patients at this hospital. You should you should just call the police. The, like, police come, and they're just, like, getting their coats and just, like, walking out. Like, uh-huh. um, like there is no Like, I was convinced here. that the police were going to show up and just, like, beat the tar out of them. Yeah. And that happens once they get back to the hospital. But, you know. Yeah. Um, in fact, the police officer, I mean, fuck all cops, but it is, like kind of laughing about like did you have a good meal um <laughs> and it, it is specifically the like really shitty psychiatrist and the the guards there that where it, like mm-hmm. goes bad for them um that scene yes. just sucks as well because of how much they're just like being scolded like children as grown fucking men yes um yes and the the film wow. is very aware that like it sucks that they're be- being scolded like they're you know naughty little children or something but well and the film is aware that like they talk to the daytime psychiatrist the guy who works the like the day shift and he's it's sort of like dad says we couldn't go to the funeral so we'll wait for the daytime psychiatrist and we'll ask mom and mom is gonna say yes but then you get home and it's the night shift and dad's pissed off now yeah you know um and it's that thing when you're a kid when you know one parent says go ask your go ask your other parent about it you know um and yeah like it is just a movie that is like in every situation like they are just victims of state violence and sometimes state violence is like these psychiatrists acting like your bickering parents um and being like physically violent with you yeah um, um. Yeah, I guess the one other nice thing that Victor does is punch the shitty psychiatrist. He does do that. Um, which, fuck that guy. I mean, fuck both of them, I like... but um, the one who is actually in control of state violence and not just wishing that he was in control of state violence <laughs> um, is maybe the one who more deserves to be punched. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It... I'm not saying I'm like on the Nazi side, but I'm saying that the Nazi is like 
suffering from a lot of delusions and like um you know one of them is just a terrible shit man yeah one of them actually has power which i think is a significant yes factor yes. in all of this um, yes even though i doubt um, victor with power would result in anything good so i'm not saying give victor oh, power uh yeah the, no the also kind of bad state power also very bad, bad. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> I always love the line when like Victor is first introduced where Paul is like why is he such a Nazi? <laughs> um. <laughs> well, Paul is like why is he such a Nazi? And um Victor is like you watch your mouth like uh don't don't talk about Hitler that way. <laughs> and Paul then says about Hitler, why is Hitler such a Nazi? <laughs> good um, um that's probably everything i had to say about this movie yeah i mean uh. i would certainly write the the thesis differently now um for example mm. i get into some stuff about uh elves that i feel like i came i figured out that i was trans and i have far more queer readings about what's going on with elves now um mm -hmm. but people can people can read that I wrote a lot about this film. I don't want to just talk about it. Yeah. I don't want to just say everything that I wrote about on a podcast. I do podcasts yeah. for a reason, and it's that writing essays kind of sucks, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel like criticism is a like inherently better thing when it is collaborative between two people, and also um, it being like a sort of like live thing where I don't have to like worry about editing and re-editing and making sure i get things fucking right is a huge uh relief <laughs> yeah. uh do we want to read our email yes um let me pull it up i was reading an email that we got for uh ours arcanum just a second ago um crystal says um uh, I didn't really expect this movie to be about Jesus coming back, only to be beaten down by the cruelty that society displays toward what uh, once what once may have been considered divine madness. Or, Paul doesn't need to literally be Jesus, but there's so much imagery of him walking on water and flipping tables and seeing the Holy Ghost and the Father and walking in the Father's mansions after he dies that it really feels like this movie is inviting that comparison, especially with the dialogue about how Jesus would be a mental patient today, uh, since Nietzsche con declared that God is dead, and that it's better to live by the Holy Scripture than to know it and not live by it. Um, not a question there. We didn't hook on to the religious imagery. Um, like, I, I was, like, just totally, like, I was aware that this is a reading of the film, but I am not, like, knowledgeable. Well, I shouldn't say that. I know a lot about Christianity that I have sort of, like, blocked out of my brain for my own mental health reasons <laughs> a little yeah. bit. And so, like, I knew that this is a reading of the film, and I knew that this is, like, something that the movie is very deliberately playing with. And I think I was sort of deliberately like, I'm going to hook on a different reading of this movie about the ways that it depicts mental health. Because, like, thinking about Jesus too much opens, like, a can of worms in my brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel not to quite the same extent, but, like, I don't know if I said this on, my, on this podcast. My dad's a pastor. Um, I know a, 
a lot. I at one time I knew an extreme amount about the Bible and things. Um, and I've definitely lost some of it. Um, this is definitely a, a reading and this is, I mean, this is like a reading that's also done within Iceland as well. It's clearly there that, you know, Paul and Peter have these biblical names. Um, and especially Paul has these, a lot of parallels with Jesus. Um, even including this part where he tells a joke about how my name's not Jesse, it's Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, what I find really interesting about this film is the fact that like this is a reading, but it also while it, at the same time it is doing this like biblical connection. Again, it is also tying it to like pagan Icelandic, um, like sagas and myths. Like the film also mm-hmm. starts with discussion of like Egil Skaldgrimson, who I don't know if I actually mentioned this on this recording, but is this like Icelandic warrior poet who is kind of like the depictions of him is as like a very volatile person who um, like has a lot of like very intense changes of his moods throughout the the saga about him. Um, But is also like within that context, like known as one of the best poets of Iceland ever. Um, and so like, they're also tying it to, to him, but then the way that he gets praised as like this great warrior poet, even in modern Iceland today, they would still praise Egil as like this incredible warrior poet. Um, but then also has a lot of things that could be read as like schizophrenic behaviors that Paul is also having. Um, and he is not viewed as this great poet. He's just like a problem that needs to be taken care of by the state and society. Um, and so you can also do this read of like, oh, is he like, you know, if you're doing these reincarnation reads, you can also do that one. There's a part where it even refers to like, I didn't cut my ear off in a previous life to like do this, which suggests that he's like viewing himself as Van Gogh or something. Um, and another great line in the film is the one about like people have seven lives and in this life it's Sunday. And so I'm not going to work. So that like suggests that like, I think that this film and also the book is is interested in talking about how it is like this character actually connect to a a lot of different historical figures um, and doing it in ways that are less direct than like, Mm -hmm. like we get the direct, oh, Victor thinks that he's Hitler sometimes. Mm-hmm. And here we're getting it in this less direct way, but like, oh, there are all these ways that these behaviors that are like being viewed as um, a problem, there are people who might also display similar things, but then like in their time and place are viewed and discussed differently. Like Jesus, which is the one who gets like specifically meant, you know, called out with, I don't think he was mentally ill, but if he was alive today, they would like think that he was, um, is I think the specific line that is like brought up. Um, but then also like, Oh, if you're living in a society where, um, killing people and like being extremely violent is like an important thing because you're like a bunch of Vikings who are going off and killing people, maybe these kinds of behavioral traits, 
are like viewed as a great thing because oh you you know he would have no trouble burying a knife into someone's stomach and that's a good thing <laughs> right mm-hmm. um for the this saga hero um so i think that, like the film is also it, it it is focused on like one how mental illness is still like often going to be this thing that will be distressing for the people experiencing it and yet also how mental illness is like constructed by societies and times and places um and that like what is viewed as deviant is determined by like what is currently being viewed like what is the current focus yes. of society um and so i think that is yes. also like part of what's happening here um and then yes. again is like tying into you know talking about icelandic sagas is tying into like this project of figuring out like what is a, a national character, like what is happening in Iceland in the same way that like historically Christianity is very important within Iceland. And it is like very recently that it has moved towards a more secular view of things. And so also like that can tie into these readings of this film also being preoccupied with like this moment of modernization that's happening in Iceland. Um, so yeah, and it I, I like that there are just so many different ways that you could approach this and think about this film. Um, I think that's like one of the strengths of it is that it, it is pulling on yeah. so many things and it is like tying all of these things together that I feel like you can reach like very cohesive reads of the film that can be completely different than other ones, which yeah, I feel like was also kind of a thing with... Um, I keep just being like Der Himmel Uber Berlin and then being like, what was the name of that? <laughs> Wings of Desire. <laughs> oh, oh, I did the same thing, but I went with a uh, teenage NASA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what, what did you just send me? Uh, I just saw you a tweet. I saw, I sent you a tweet. I saw that it is not relevant to this. I just saw it uh, because Sometimes I I have to like fidget while I podcast, and so I just scroll things, and I try not to scroll Twitter much, but I did scroll Twitter for a second, and I sent you a tweet that I saw. That's all. Yeah. Meow, meow. I I will read this comic later that you sent me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I feel like we can we can call it here. Yeah, I think so too. Short episode. Yeah, I, I don't always have to record for like two to three hours. I know it was just it's just funny because like last time went long uh the time before that went long like the last three episodes were just really long and this episode is like more in line with what I think is like more in line with what I imagine our normal is I guess um like what our normal from the first couple episodes was it's just that like the Mulholland Drive double feature uh Wings of Desire like those three (laughs) like in a row just yeah. gave us some long episodes and i think like this is like much more just like normal yeah but this, <laughs> wings of desire i think also did not benefit from the fact that we had uh like 52 movies to talk about before we talked about the main movie <laughs> yeah um, i thought th- i thought last episode was really was good really i think good this episode, episode is re- but I, I i i'm really enjoying this episode but um Holy shit, our last episode was just fucking good, if I may say so myself. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. Anyway, um, stairwell in this movie. Oh yeah, we gotta rate a stairwell. Um, so 
there's um a pretty obvious pick i think um but i would be open to others there is one early on and i was like ah that's it and now i don't have to think about stairwells the rest of the movie a little bit um unless one jumped out at me i do think it is the most prominent one um, so the early part of the film is concerned with, um, Paul's relationship with this girl, uh, Dagny, um, and like they break up for various reasons. Um, and there is a scene toward, like, I think the last scene that she's in could be mistaken. Oh, there's one more scene where she is seen or two yeah, or three so more scenes where she is seen anyway. It's it is kind of um, weird because it feels out of time because there is the one where she go where he goes this is like the actual stairwell scene which is when he goes to visit her mm-hmm. and it seems like it's he just like completely her. don't see me again but then we get the shot soon after of them in the mirror and that comes afterwards and then there's like him getting stand stood up and then we see the her in the window um, I was unclear I was wondering if maybe he imagined her saying that they would go see a movie yeah, and that she never actually stood him up. It's just that he imagined that she had come over and had this conversation and he imagined that um, she'd stood him up. I don't know. I think that is like purposefully unclear. Yeah. Anyway. Because that that scene, the the mirror scene is like very... um... There's like some surrealness happening there, even as it is just like them sitting and talking with a mirror. Um, yes. Um. So, stairwell. He walks up the stairs to her uh, home, and he like knocks, and then he's like walks back down. Like in, in when he's halfway, he he walks up. He knocks. He waits. She doesn't come out. He starts to walk away as he's like halfway down the stairs. Um, she comes out and they have this conversation about like, I don't want you seeing me anymore. Um, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And so you get the sort of like, I'm going to walk up and I'm going to make this grave decision. Cause I think maybe she doesn't want to see me anymore. And I'm going to like do, do the classic like walk up thing. And then he stands halfway down the stairs, sort of like, hoping that she invites him in but then ultimately has to continue walking down the stairs and like it is after this scene that some of like his symptoms start to really really accelerate and get worse yeah um uh and i don't say that to be like ah it is her fault that you know he starts experiencing mental illness only that like you know in the sort of like our way of thinking about stairwell scenes like you get both. You get the sort of like going up the stairs to make the grave decision and going down the stairs because your life is falling apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like it's also um, like the it feels like it's maybe like an apartment where there's like two flats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this so. Terminology because in Chicago we describe like we have two flats, which are buildings that like used to be family homes and have been converted into two apartments and it's like each floor is an apartment um i don't know why we use that term when it's like a british thing but anyway um and so it like it feels like he's like walking up and out like it's an outdoor stairwell um yes to go to her front door um and 
I don't think the stairwell itself is remarkable, but I do think like the use of just like color um in this scene is really good. Like um this is this movie comes out in 2000, so it's not like digitally color corrected, but they do the it was so funny because we were watching I was watching Dead Man's Chest yesterday and like just oh it's this fucking orange and teal bullshit. Get this shit out of here. But this scene does orange and teal, but it's not because of that. It's because she steps out into the night and inside the apartment she is lit by a like incandescent bulb and outside she is lit by either natural lighting or like you know a a sort of like diffuse like blue light that is like shining to like represent you know the night sky um and like there's just like a good use of color because then you like you know do the reverse shot to paul and it's all this like you know night sky blue natural light because he is not invited into this like you know the warmth of the uh incandescent like lit home like he yeah. is not part of this you know normal society yeah it it is not just employing orange and blue to have good contrast in the way that a lot mm-hmm. of like modern color grading will do it is very specifically representing things about like the cold of the outside and then the like warmth of the inside um yes so yeah yeah um, i think like even though the stairwell is not necessarily impressive the like in and of itself they shoot it really really well um yeah just the I shot of so. him going up and then also the shot of him standing on it is like well framed um mm-hmm. so i feel like this might be a higher rating than a lot of the movies we've done i don't know yeah i, I maybe like I may have talked myself into like an A or an A minus. I don't know. Yeah, I can maybe see an an A minus. Um, yeah, I want to leave a little room maybe. for like a really good stairwell that's shot really well and thematically important. Um, but yeah, I feel like, like this... let's give it an A minus because like ah, you've got all the good stairwell scene parts. Now you just have to make the stairwell look good. Yeah, you know, you just need a more ornate stairwell. Yes. This is just a stairwell. Yeah. And you've done everything um, else really well, so A minus. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um But yeah, I think that's just about does it for uh uh Angels of the Universe. Should I say what we're doing next time? Um yes. Um so I've just been thinking about this movie a lot. Uh, I've it, I saw this movie for the first time um, as 2018 rolled into 2019. Like I saw this movie for the first time, like on New Year's Eve of as 2018 becomes 2019. And I think I've probably thought about this movie at least once a week ever since. Um, it is a great movie. It is a movie I think about all the time, and it is also a very popular movie. So it'll be a nice little. Uh, change from no one listening to this episode to everyone's gonna listen to the next one. We're gonna get a lot of listeners next time. We're gonna talk about fucking Akira. Yeah. I'm sorry that the... I like obscure movies, Autumn. No, no, no. I'm, I like joking, that you bring but... these obscure movies. I like it. I like. I have liked every movie you've brought a lot. 
I just have been thinking about Akira a lot, and I wanted to watch Akira, and so we're going to watch Akira. Akira, great fucking... Akira's a great fucking movie, especially for a podcast like ours, because... Yes. Um, like, I don't know that much... Like, I watch it and I'm like, this isn't, like, saying a lot, but it looks fucking great. <laughs> it looks fucking great. Uh, it looks fucking amazing. Like, the... It's so weird because, like, I have this sort of, like, vague cultural awareness that, like, the book is saying a lot, you know? Like, yeah. the book has, like, themes. And I just read a different Otomo manga, and, like, that is a book with, like, messages and ideas and things that it is, like, thinking about. Uh, and, like, you can see all of those ideas, like, in Akira, but it is mostly visual spec- spectacle that flattens all the ideas into atomic bomb pretty fucked up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, also notably, like, this film wa- was such a, like, just spectacular thing to look at that um, Disney like kind of freaked out about how they needed to step their shit up and made beauty and the beast <laughs> and like employed way <laughs> different techniques in beauty and the beast than they had before. Cause they were like, shit, Japanese animation is going to fuck us up. <laughs> um, also my promise to you, the listener is that I will really do my best to say Akira. Um, or I will, I will do my best to like, make sure I'm pronouncing it right. I, I'm not sure that Akira is like, 100% right either but I know that Akira is definitely not right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel um, like I will hear them say it in the movie and be able to do it yes yes this is also how when I first watched the movie I was like oh that's how you say it and for the rest of 2019 I was able to say it right and it's just been long enough that it's like you know the sort of like American Akira has just like permeated back into my brain so yeah. <laughs> Um, great fucking movie. Um, I'm excited for this. <laughs> so fucking good. I also, I've only seen the dub. I have not seen the sub. I imagine we'll be watching like the original Japanese, uh, voice cast. Uh, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to save the story for the first time that I watched it for when we, when we talk about it on the podcast next time. But <laughs> I will, I, I've only told part of the story. I'll tell you the rest of the story next time. Um, because like there is a, specific moment and i have to remember what that moment is so we'll talk about it next time because i have a really good story about like when i first saw this movie um but yeah um where could people find you online uh people can follow me at fox Momnia on twitter or garfred aloud mm-hmm. if you want to watch me read garfield aloud and do a camera um, i do and i also have another podcast on the export audio network which is called Ghost Divers, and it's an anime podcast. Um, and I would say if you're like wanting to check out one episode of our podcast, um, the end of Evangelion episode is, I think, like, no offense, Autumn, being on the, the Ray Earth episodes. I've been enjoying our Ray Earth episodes, but the end of Evangelion episode is just like an incredible episode that I think also can stand alone. Um, yeah. Because a lot of people have watched the show and watched the movie and it's just like us <clears throat> finally saying all of the shit that we've been wanting to say about um, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> why I hate End of Evangelion and Connor likes it. <laughs> and we have a really good discussion is, about it. This is why I specifically... Um, I told you, because you're doing uh, Utena soon, and I told you specifically, I was like, I want to be on either the last episode for the show or Adolescence of Utena, because, like, I have seen about half of Utena, and what I want to do is I want to just be able to talk about it once I've seen the whole thing and I know the whole shape of everything, because I think that is, like, I think, you know... The best part of any sort of like serial podcast like this is like once you're at the end and you can sort of look back and um yeah so yeah I mean this is I'm also excited. part of why we have such long episodes is that like I I don't want to do just two episodes at a time because I don't want to be like stuck in like we already spent a long long time in Evangelion being stuck in like clearly we have different reads about end of Evangelion but we aren't there yet <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I I find like our final episodes are often the best ones. Um so I'm also looking forward to us finishing Ray Earth and I feel like we can just like actually talk about everything that we've been half talking around. So I downloaded the manga of Ray Earth and I'm not making any promises, but I definitely want to like flip through it before we record our next episode. Yeah. And just like get a sense of maybe how it's different. I don't know that I'm going to read the whole thing, but I definitely want to like start it and maybe like jump to the start of part two and see like what part two is like maybe you yeah know. oh i guess i'm doing this on we're doing this on the podcast right now i actually thought of this earlier and then forgot to mention it um i think we talked about because i'm gonna guest on the next hot singles doing yeah. it instead of an ornate stairwells just in the interest of like time so um, that would make things a lot easier yeah that would Yes, we should we should do that. We should do um, we should do hot singles in this time slot next Thursday, and then come back the week after that to do Akira. Yeah. So, so this is why I brought that up. That so, it, listener, it'll it'll be you'll have more time to watch Akira. <laughs> the film that is that a bummer to me it. because I'm so excited about watching Akira, but um, I think it's the right call. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, agreed. Um. um I don't need to be up super late recording podcasts nearly as much as I have been lately. Because um, like, our other option would be to do hot singles really late into the night on Wednesday and then do ornate stairwells really late into the night on Thursday, which would be miserable. Yeah, that would just fuck me up. Um. <laughs> I could live through it, but I don't have a two-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I could do and it. And I don't have to be at work until 2 p.m. I could do it. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's the problem is I know you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to save me for myself. Um, so in the interest of not recording super late and, and fucking myself up, uh, Okokoro is real. <laughs> or wait, do you have to do your Okokor- things? Do you, did you say where people oh, can find you online? Sorry. <laughs> people can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. All my other podcasts at exportodd.io. You should listen to... Um, Export Audio, a podcast I do with my wife, Nora Blake, um, where uh, the last two weeks we have been talking about movies, specifically the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And I'm thinking about, once we get through these Pirates of the Caribbean movies, being like, hey, Nora, we should watch The Fucking Matrix. 
Um, oh my god, I love The Matrix so much. <laughs> we, so we watched The Matrix on our first date, and I saw um, Reloaded and Revolutions like a dozen times each when I was like 10 years old until like my mom decided that she didn't want me watching like movies with so many guns in them so she like threw my dvds out <laughs> um so i have not seen the matrix the matrix films in 15 years other than the first one and so like i kind of want to just be like nora i really want to watch matrix reloaded and matrix revolutions and i like we should just do those on the podcast soon <laughs> yeah god i um, fucking love the matrix it is not always a movie podcast um sometimes we just talk about you know like the episodes before these pirates of the caribbean ones we just talked about like my trip to chicago and then our trip to dallas you know just like bullshit so it's it's the hangout podcast uh if you're gonna do another hangout podcast you need to run it by nora and autumn and make sure that they're okay with it because they invented it here's so here's (laughs) the thing is that export audio as a podcast and as a podcast network only exists because I really like important if true. One of the thing first things that like Nora and I bonded over as we were like starting to hang out was me getting her into important if true. Um, and uh, we own the concept now. You can't start another podcast that's inspired by important if true. Uh, they they died so that we could live and we appreciate that and we own this now so if you want to do a hangout podcast you have to you have to run it through us yeah um waiting for important if true to return is the closest i've ever been able to understand those who believe that jesus christ will rise again Uh, (laughs) (laughs) anyway uncle coro is real (laughs) I was watching those videos of Chris Remo doing the crossword because you and M were talking about them, yeah. and I I felt that. I felt like, oh, I want them back so bad. I watch those every single day. Um, I do too now. Yeah. Anyway, Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real.
Bella Lugos is 